Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting. Podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. Dr. Bradley Campbell, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Your videos were, were brought to my attention a little while ago at a time where we weren't seeing the other side. We weren't getting an alternative point of view. And I think a lot of people had seen your videos and sort of that was, they said, oh, hold on, what's going on? What's, what's this doctor talking about? It's completely you know, contradictory to what we're being told over here in Australia. But I'll introduce you. So, so you're the founder of Health Assurance Movement. Yes. Okay, so, so what do you do there? So it's a nonprofit organization I started as it was originally going to be helping homeless and low income people in, around Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. But because of the pandemic, we actually switched to doing more online health information and education. So we basically have a website that has free quizzes people can take and self-care guides and videos and ways to kind of inspire people to get themselves healthier, which is honestly needed now more than ever. Absolutely. Without the use of sort of medicine, modern medicine. Yeah, doing it in a natural way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, natural healthcare. That, that's what, you know, I've been trying to get that across to people. And I've made quite a few posts about the benefits of, of supplementation, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc. And uh, mate, I posted and within about five minutes, it's removed for misinformation. So this is, we've done this for years. Like if, if I was to, to post about the benefits of vitamin C, garlic, vitamin D, zinc with the common cold, no problem. Right. But the minute this is ticked over straight away, it's known as misinformation. You're trying to lead people uh, the wrong way when it's, it's not factual. So I, I do like your approach that you do look at treating illnesses with natural medicine as opposed to modern medicine. So how have you... So what led you down the path of where you are now, where you're quite active in speaking out against what you're seeing with these uh, vaccine rollouts, not just in the United States, but around the world? Well, I think um, I was sort of commenting on it a little bit, and then I started seeing some people go on both sides, just go way too far down an extremist narrative and way too far down a fear-based narrative, both in people who were you know, pushing uh, the vaccine, who were very much like, you know, COVID's going to kill you. It's super dangerous. Everyone's going to die. Like you need to do this to save others and protect yourself and all that kind of stuff. And they're pushing a very fear-based narrative in the mainstream media. But then a lot of people who were kind of pushing against that were also in a fear-based narrative who were, they were scaring people about the vaccine and scaring people about um, just everything the government was doing and some of the medications that are being, being used or the treatments. And I think we just needed more of like a calm, hopeful voice of reason that kind of like stood as a moderate voice in between two far extremes to sort of like say, here's what the science is really showing us. Here's the pros and cons of everything. And what's, what is the science really showing us when we don't like get into our emotional self and just look at it from like an unbiased side, like what's actually working, what's actually the best thing we can do with what we know at the time. And I think people really liked that voice of reason when everyone else was kind of just acting emotionally or in the US sort of politically and trying to lump people into like a political party and that determines your views on health which doesn't make sense at all no and you mentioned there there's two extremes and that's right so we're seeing people at one end where as you said you know it, it's, it's super dangerous you're going to die if you don't get vaccinated to protect yourself and then to protect others which we're now finding out it's not true at all uh, but that was a narrative that they've been pushing and they're still trying to push i must say and then there's people on the other end that are saying you know, coming up with these conspiracy theories. Look, some of them are, they're, they're, you know, conspiracy theories in regards to Bill Gates and microchips and all this crazy shit that I don't believe yeah. is happening. Uh, so there's two extremes. And, and the minute you start acting, we start speaking on emotion, people interpret that in a way and they'll just label you, oh, this bloke is a conspiracy nut, you know, and, and that's not the reality of it. And I think your approach is very similar to mine in a way where obviously I'm not as qualified as you are to be speaking, but I do speak to a lot of people that are qualified to, to speak right. about it. And I just relay their information that I've been told. So, but there's no point in fighting fire with fire, right? So when I, when I post things and, and when I, I try to do it more of a, from a, a, 
statistical or, or fact-based um, way where people can see it and hopefully they can at least take it on board and do a bit of research themselves. And, and I, don't, I don't spread any misinformation whatsoever. I, most of the figures I provide are from the government websites, right? right. So they call me a liar and that you, you know, you're talking out of your ass. You don't know what you're talking about. You're spreading misinformation. But that information that I'm spreading is the government's information. I'm just breaking down the numbers. So yeah. it's bizarre that we're being sort of pigeonholed like that. And so I, I really do find that I think that's why your approach is working so well is where you're not 100% anti everybody that wants to get vaccinated. You're not anti-government. You're speaking from, from a place of, of reason and, and logic. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. So and even you, when you have data, there's like, you can interpret it a few different ways too. Like when you have the government data, you can interpret that good or bad. And a lot of it is how you spin it too. Like you could say like, oh my God, one in... 10,000 people are dying. How horrible. And you can say, well, one in 100 people die every year. So one in 10,000 is actually pretty good. So it's all, you know, how you spin it with the emotional content too. And people will sort of put their preconceived notions on what they're reading before they even read it. So if they sort of see anything that's, you know, questioning the narrative, they might think like, oh, this is going to be this because they're already pre-categorizing you into their emotional context that they have before they even read what you did or before even like re listening to one of your full podcasts, if they did, they'd probably be like, wow, this guy makes a lot of sense, but they just yeah. make those quick snap social media judgments. Yeah. And, and look, I've been trying and you, you may have seen today, I, I, I called that doctor out from Australia to come on the podcast and have a talk to me because yeah. it's, it's not that I'm, I'm willing to take on, I'm willing to talk to anybody. Now, if, that doctor can come on and prove to me that I'm that, that what I've been told is wrong and that doctors like Dr. McCulloch and Dr. Robert Malone and all those people I've spoken to are wrong and he's right. That's 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 a good thing. If, if he's right, then we we should all be lining up to get vaccinated tomorrow. But they're not willing to do that. And, and what I've noticed, um, and this is not you know intended to disrespect doctors, but what I'm seeing is that doctors that are on the other side where they're 100% invested in this vaccine rollout is that they're picking and choosing what they debunk. And, and this doctor in particular calls out misinformation online. He does it on TikTok and he does it on Instagram. And he's picking on very weak targets. So he's picking on the people that are emotionally invested and the ones that is coming up with these ridiculous claims. Yeah. And that's quite easy to debunk. It's not difficult. But I would like to see these doctors that are, that are, you know, that are all for the vaccine to, to speak to somebody like even myself or even if I have another doctor like Dr. McCulloch on with me and we sort of have a, have a chat because that's what's missing at the moment. There's a missing link. Yes. I and I, I know in Australia that our um, APRA, which is known out here, I'm not sure what it's referred to as in the United States, but the ones that regulate the industry, uh, there's been emails sent to doctors and all practice, whether it be chiropractors, dentists, doctors, nurses, midwives, everybody across the board. They're not too speak out against the government's vaccine program. They're not to spread, quote, misinformation. Uh, and if they do have, a, you know, a difference of opinion or a moral objection to the vaccine, then they're to refer that patient on to another doctor who has no problem in, in, in doing it. So that's problematic in itself. A doctor's a doctor for a reason. They've been they're educated. They have a right to give their opinion on what they think is right for that patient, but that's been taken away from them. Yeah. So you've got, you've got the government dictating, mind you, who don't have any experience in health whatsoever. Most of the, the politicians in this country, I'm not sure about the United States, but here, most of them are lawyers, school teachers, you know, got degrees in, in things like art. That's completely irrelevant to the, the, the situation we're dealing with at the moment. They're the ones that are signing off on these health orders. These are the, these are the people that are uh, muzzling the health professionals out here. And that's a big problem. Yeah, it's a dangerous precedent to have government controlling our bodies, right? That's why so many people say like the my body, my choice movement, at least in America, it's like women want to have control of their bodies. They don't want men telling them what to do with their bodies, which to me makes a lot of sense. Um, but now that governments are telling us what to do with our immune system, people are all on board, which doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense for governments to tell doctors how they can or cannot treat people. I mean, if a doctor is doing something extremely dangerous, like having someone drink gasoline and telling them it cleanses their kidneys, like that's not smart, yeah. right? There's like 
obvious logical limits to that, but not allowing doctors to experiment with different in the US, like they can't experiment with different medications unless they're in an independent practice. And even then certain of the medications like hydroxychloroquine, like ivermectin and other drugs have been banned in certain states or pharmacies won't prescribe them, even though there's a lot of research showing that they show benefit. So it's like, if you're going to limit free speech of doctors, which they're now doing here as well, and you know threatening to take away licenses, and if you're limiting the way they practice, then doctors don't get to critically think or independently think. And that's also going to limit them from potentially finding a repurposed drug that's another cure. So if they can't even like think critically or find, um, think outside of the box of what the government or their hospital system is allowing them to think, then we're potentially limiting other future cures for COVID as well. Yeah. Now I've done quite a bit of research into that because I've read and I've had conversations with with doctors and people that re- that recommend drugs like, in particular, ivermectin, which is the big one out here. So the TGA in Australia, which is equivalent to your FDA, has recently limited the prescriptions of, of ivermectin. So they can be only prescribed for a few conditions. They're very particular in what they are and for no other reason. So there's no, um, you know, um, off-label, we, we call it off-label uh, treatment. So they've taken that ability away from doctors. Even if doctors believe that it's effective, they, they don't have the means to prescribe it. Now, I think the research is, it's very clear that drugs like ivermectin work. It's very clear. And you don't have to be a doctor or, or a scientist to interpret um, data. It, it's very sort of black and white. It, it's there for you to interpret. There's only really one way you can interpret it, right? So- yeah that's suspicious in its, in itself. Now, another thing that is happening in Australia is that if we were to contact our doctors and ask for an antibody test, not allowed. Now, I know down in Victoria uh, that their doctors in Victoria, if they were to request or sign off on a pathology a request for an antibody test, they're getting fined $20,000. That's absolutely bonkers. It's, it's crazy, right? Uh, so yeah. that's just one thing. Now, another thing is it's drawn into our legislation that is illegal for a person to to use a rapid antibody test, a rapid antigen test um, in their homes. So if I was to buy uh, some, um, some tests and want to test myself at home for COVID-19, I'm breaking the law. So that's drawn that into... That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean... No. It, it's the first time we've, we've, we've had the ability to test ourselves for this virus. It's been taken away. So the only way we can test ourselves here is we're going to drive up to a, a testing clinic where they do the nasal swab and send it away. The, um, oh, I was lost the top of my head. The, um, the, the standard tests they do, that uh, PCR tests. That's the only way we can test ourselves in Australia. So we can't just get the, the rapid tests and do them at home. It's illegal. Certain uh, workplaces are allowed to use them on their employees, but it's very strict. It's, it's monitored, you know, under strict guidelines and it's just nuts. It's crazy to think that. And that to me is suspicious. Yeah. Cause if you really wanted to help people, you would be doing all sorts of testing that's effective and more testing, the better I would think to actually protect people. And the antibody testing tells you if the vaccines are working. It also tells you if you've had a natural infection and you would be safer from getting reinfected or infecting other people. So if they really cared about people and giving them their lives back, they would be allowing antibody testing and doing as much testing as possible. Yeah. And I've just heard this morning, actually, that natural immunity is oh, it was 25 times or it was 27 times yeah, it's, stronger. It's a 13 times better preventing infection than a vac- COVID vaccine and 27 times better at preventing severe symptoms from COVID-19 than the vaccine. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And the fact that in Australia, we've had the ability taken, we don't know whether we've, we've had it. Look, from my understanding that a lot of people get the virus and don't even know they've got it. So how many people out there have got antibodies? Now, I'm yeah. not sure mm-hmm. how that works in terms of if, if you've got natural immunity to it from a previous infection and you then get vaccinated, does that make it, does, is that problematic? It doesn't seem problematic if you've had natural immunity and then you get vaccinated, you're actually 
two to three times more likely to react negatively to the vaccine, to have a serious reaction to the vaccine. So it would help to know if you were previously infected because then you'd be more likely to find out if you were gonna react negatively to the vaccine. They did find, however, that people who have a natural infection and then get vaccinated have like a super strong um, immune defense against COVID. So it's like the best of the best because you have the amazing, brilliant, innately intelligent immune system reacting in a natural infection. Then you add the vaccine, you get like a super, super duper strength, superhuman kind of like COVID-19 defense. But we haven't seen that enough yet to really know if that's a good or a bad thing, because sometimes too many antibodies and too much of a hyperactive immune response can cause autoimmune issues where the body has an immune response against itself, which can be really bad. And that's a lot of what we're seeing in some of the COVID vaccine reactions in the US here, at least. So it'll, I think I'd go as far to say that it's extremely important that you probably should be testing everybody prior to vaccination. Right. It would make the most logical sense. Plus you could also, for people who are like super pro vaccine, you can save those vaccines and give them to other people or other countries that might actually need them. Yeah. But here it just seems like it's very black and white. Like for example, um, I work in mental health. Well, I did work in mental health uh, prior to this vaccine mandate for certain industries that they have in Australia. So unfortunately I'm not able to go back to work. So I've lost my job because I, I don't want to get the vaccine. However, uh, there's other, uh, I was in a management position and I had other, um, some of my staff who have just gone to the doctors and completed a medical exemption form, handed that in and they're exempt from getting it. They didn't lose their job. They can continue to work unvaccinated because they may have a, you know, look, I'm not going to go and say what it is because I don't want to get them in trouble. But, you know, I know people that have gone to the doctors and said, hey, listen, I've got very bad anxiety over vaccines. I can't do it. And the doctor's on, yeah, no worries. Sign off. Here's your exemption form. So, which again, defies logic because medical exemption or not, if you go to work unvaccinated, it doesn't matter whether you've got an exemption. The virus isn't going to say, oh, listen, we can't attack Bob over there because he's got a medical exemption. So we're going to leave him alone. So you can, there should be no, it should be black and white. Either you're vaccinated or you're not. Right. So there's a lot of holes in what they're doing here and, and the, the system they have in place. And for example, in New South Wales, um, are you familiar with the states of Australia? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, when I say Australia, I'm mainly referring to New South Wales and Victoria. Okay. Um, Queensland's also in the equation uh, up north. So I'm in Sydney. So yeah, Queensland's above me and Victoria's below me. So what we're seeing here is, is issues like you know, um, once we hit 70% double dose in New South mm -hmm. Wales, we'll get our quote freedoms back. So we're in a very strict lockdown. Like when I mean strict, I mean super strict um, to the point where we've slowly started getting some things back, but it was at a point where we couldn't even uh, exercise for any more than an hour at a time outdoors. They mandated masks outdoors permanently. So if you, if you soon a minute you stepped outside your house, you had to have a mask on so you know how, how laugh that, that in itself is a joke yeah right it's just it's such a joke so you know i know somebody that was fined for walking around a park um, an oval at two in the morning uh, for not wearing a mask by himself with not a single person there so mate who the who's he, who's he going to catch the virus from the trees there's no one around so it, it just there's a lack of common sense it's like they've put just a blanket over it and said we're doing absolutely everything we can to stop it and it's obviously Except not working they're not that's right yeah. that's right so yeah the measures that we have here I, i'd go as far as say it's probably the toughest in the world in terms yeah. of what we can and can't do um as i said masks outdoors limited to one hour outside each day for exercise you can't leave five kilometers they even had a, a, a partner bubble so if you were in a relationship but not living together you could have a bubble with your partner so you could go to and from your partner's house and vice versa, but you'd have to live within five kilometers. So I'm not sure what that is in miles, but it's not far. No, so, it's a couple of miles. Yeah. So if you, if your partner lived outside of that, well, too bad you couldn't see your partner. So it's ridiculous. It also makes no sense to limit it to five kilometers because it's right. not like if you drive there or if you drive 500 kilometers away, it's not going to make any difference. No, 
That's right. And, you know, we had the police at one, I don't think it's still happening now, but at one stage we had the police, if we were caught outside our local areas or entering an area, which they call an area of concern, a hotspot, if we were entering those areas and we were stopped by police just for whatever it may be, a check, and we told them what we were doing out of the area and the police determined that it wasn't a, a valid excuse to be out of your area, not only were we getting whacked with a $5,000 fine, Right? But they were, they had the ability to make the decision if you had to stay home for two weeks and self-isolate. The police had that power. So I'm sorry, but to me, that's just intimidation. That's the police sentencing. It's a term of imprisonment in the home. You've done the wrong thing. Here's $5,000 fine. Now go home for home detention for two weeks. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's just nuts. And, and it's not, it's slowly starting to get better. But at 70%, oh, back to my original point, at 70% of the population having a double dose of either Pfizer or, or AstraZeneca, yeah. they're opening up, the, the opening back up to the vaccinated uh, people so they can go back to the parks. Even now, uh, for example, if you're fully vaccinated, you can go for a picnic uh, at the park with up to five people at a time. But yet I, I can't go out with my family who's unvaccinated to a park for a picnic. So I, I can't do anything, but the vaccinated uh, people can. There's there's talk about not letting, um, well, not talk about it. It's going to happen. They're not allowing unvaccinated people to shop. They can do essential shopping, but that's it. They can't just go clothes shopping and browsing. Not allowed. Only vaccinated people are allowed to do that. And, you know, as I said, I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't take a doctor to work out that the vaccine isn't working. It's not stopping infection. It's not stopping the spread. It's not protecting anybody at the... All, you can, all I can confidently say from what I've looked at is that the only benefit seems to be maybe to the person that's had it. Right. And, and when I say to the person that's had it, I'm talking about in particular the elderly and vulnerable. Yep. Because I well, don't think there's a benefit like... to a healthy 30-year-old man having a period. Right. So uh, what's your thoughts on that in terms of, of the vaccine stopping the spread of the virus? Well, it did not fully stop the spread of the virus, but it seems like some of the data show that it did help prevent the spread a little bit, but it's gotten worse over time. Um, even about a month ago, the best data we had out of Israel said with the new variants of the virus, the what they thought was somewhere around 60 to 80% of preventing the spread, which is really pretty abysmal, is now down to 39%. That was about a month ago. And so what that means is that people get a false sense of security. They think they can go have picnics with people or they can go to parties or they can go to here. They're having like some big music festivals and things. And the people who are vaccinated are still catching COVID and spreading COVID, but they're much more likely to catch it and spread it without realizing that they even have it because their symptoms are often a little bit less too, because the vaccine does seem to somewhat lower their symptoms. So they're spreading it to the unvaccinated people. They're spreading it to other vaccinated people. And it just kind of perpetuates the whole cycle more. So I think kind of like the masks, the vaccines give a false sense of security as far as like you can still catch and spread the virus. So you're really not doing it to protect your grandma. You're really not doing it to protect other people or stop the pandemic. If anything, it's a temporary solution for a long-term problem. Yeah. And as you said, Israel is a great example of that because I think Israel is exclusively Pfizer. Is that correct? Yeah, they, I don't know if that's like the only one they're using, but that's what they were pushing more than anything. Yeah. Pfizer, okay. And another thing that was brought to my attention a week ago, which I did share, was the, the, the death per million between Israel and India. So yeah. Israel have a higher death per million than India, yet Israel's got, I think it was at the time, an 82% uh, fully vaccinated, uh, vaccine rate, whereas India's had, I think it was a 12%. Yep. Now, when I look at that, I'm thinking, how can anybody look at that and think, you know what, the vaccine's working? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it, it's, but not only that, I know India used the drugs that we're talking about, ivermectin. They yep. use other treatments as well to treat the patients there. So I'm sure you don't know the answer either, but the government just are refusing to look at it. Are they refusing to accept that as what's going on? Are they, do they feel embarrassed that they've, they've pushed something and said things that just aren't true. Like, uh, I don't understand. I, I can't work it out. I can't either. I mean, Israel is in its worst. They've had three waves. This third wave is worse than the first two combined. 
and they are the most vaccinated, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. So it's like they're having a horrible case count. And we all know like the data and the cases and all that is very hard to actually test for and know. And there's like over and under reporting of cases and false positives and some false negatives, mostly false positives. But it's like if they're the most, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, they should be doing better than anyone else. They should be doing better than India, but they're not. Same thing in the UK. The UK actually had 95% of their population with antibodies. They were actually doing some of the antibody research and said that 95% of the UK has antibodies either from a natural infection or from COVID, yet they're still in the longest wave of their entire pandemic as well. And it's not going away. It doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. And the countries that have vaccinated the most are doing the worst right now, which is mm. doesn't seem so good. So is the question is like, is it because they vaccinated and people think that they're safe so they go out and catch COVID and spread it around everybody and it's just like spreading like wildfire now or is it possibly because the vaccines are causing COVID is no one's really sure um, maybe they once they get the vaccine rates I think it might be just like everyone's kind of going about their business and sort of catching and spreading it but it's it's still a big public health question that doesn't have an answer yet yeah and when you have so many questions that don't have answers and they're very they're, they're important questions they're not like just a, it's very. They're very important and i don't know if you saw the the fda panel's discussion it was like an eight hour discussion they had and they voted 16 to 2 against the booster shot for pfizer hmm. there were some quite telling statistics out of that and and one of the one of the points that really stood out to me obviously i didn't watch the whole thing it was eight hours long but I've got snippets of it. And one point a doctor made was we need your help on the front line and, and to stop uh, the vaccine hesitancy, because at the moment you've got all these anti COVID vaxxers coming out and saying that the vaccine is, is killing and injuring more people than the virus. And they said, we can't prove, we, we can't prove them wrong. We don't mm -hmm. have the, the, the data to say you're wrong. And they said, as a medical board, it's extremely concerning that we can't, that, that's a powerful statement that the vaccine is ca causing more issues and deaths than the virus itself. And the fact that a medical board and doctors can't say that's false, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. I mean, our re vaccine reporting system has over 700,000 reported adverse events and there's 677,000 deaths. So it means the adverse events reported to the vaccine are higher in count, at least, than the people who have died from COVID in America. And they estimate that only one to 10% of all vaccine adverse events get reported to that system. It used to be 1%. A lot of people are saying maybe it's 10%. So that means there might be 7 million, maybe more, maybe less. We don't really know because it's not a perfect system and doctors are disincentivized and told basically from reporting adverse events and generally medical professionals, doctors, nurses are told not to report those events to that reporting system, but it's the best one we currently have. So it could be that there's actually 10 times the amount of negative reactions to the vaccine than there are deaths. Obviously a death is much worse than a vaccine reaction, but some of those vaccine reactions are like Bell's palsy, major neurologic issues, chronic disabling conditions. And we're just kind of ignoring it, sweeping it under the rug, like it's not even a problem. And essentially kind of gaslighting those people and like trying to ignore all of the vaccine injuries that are going on on a daily basis here. And we're just being told it's the vaccine working. It's your body like doing what it's supposed to do. But people are like crippled and left for dead. And the medical system doesn't know how to help them, which is the saddest part. Yeah. And I mean, in New South Wales, I know that if you have an adverse reaction to it, you have to, it's on you to report it. So the hospitals and the doctors, they don't report anything in New South Wales. Yeah. They, we have to report it as, as the person who's got the, who's had the reaction. Now, I know, you know, I know a lot of people personally that have had adverse reactions. I know uh, two ladies, family that have had got the shingles from the vaccine. I know a, a guy I work with, he's a year young, he's 26, um, healthy, fit, big guy, strong guy. He's now got a permanent um, hardening of the, the outer muscle of the heart, he said. Yeah. And that he requires medication for, and his doctor suspects it'll be a lifetime worth of medication left to be on now. 
And that one flipped was a healthy 26-year-old man who, let's face it, if he got the virus, what's his chance of dying? Point what percent? Right. So, yeah, probably nothing. I mean, you can calculate it for yourself. If you look up John Hopkins University and COVID calculator, you can find out your own risk for COVID, which is really helpful to know because you can calculate like, well, what's my risk of COVID from that? And what's my risk of a vaccine reaction? You can kind of do the numbers for yourself. There was some quite, there was some telling numbers to come out about a week ago from a journal here in Australia that was published in a, a newspaper. I think it was the Sun, Herald Sun. Anyway, the numbers were that if you take away aged care deaths, because the majority of deaths in this country have been aged care facilities, which yeah. is quite common. If we had a, a wild spread of the of an influenza, that'd be the same result, right? So that's not unusual. But if you take those aged care numbers out of it. They broke it down and it was like out of all the cases in Australia since the beginning of this year, the case fatality rate is 0.3%, which means 99.7% of people survive. Now, yeah. that's, not a, that's not the only thing to look at when we're talking about you know, how dangerous a virus could be. There's obviously a lot of other things that could go on. So then they spoke about the hospitalization rate and out of all the cases since the beginning of this year, 4.6% required hospitalization, 4.6%, yeah. right? And out of those, only 0.8% required the intensive care unit. So, and then on top of that, out of the 0.3% that unfortunately died, succumbed to the virus, 85% of them had another health condition listed on their death certificate. So if you were to work out the actual numbers, taking away, you know, from healthy individuals, that number would be like, it'd be 0.1%. It'd be yeah. as, close to as, as close to nothing as you can get. But for some reason, and I've highlighted this in many posts, I've sent messages to premiers, I've sent messages to a lot of people. And I've said, because it's frustrating now, it's at the point where this is right in front of you. What's wrong with you? Why are people losing their job? Because I don't want to get vaccinated against the virus with those sort of numbers. It's this much worse. Looking at the numbers, it's this much worse than seasonal influenza. Yep. What? I mean, I think it's it's pretty bad for the elderly. Like their death risk is a lot higher, mm. but it doesn't make sense that we should ruin everybody's life for years to protect a minority, right? We should be trying to give people the best life they can possibly have while protecting the people who are highest at risk. And then also working on health so we can remove a lot of those other factors you were saying, like 85% of people have when they die. Here, I think now it's up to four. The average person who dies from COVID has four other comorbidities or four other major health conditions that wow. are deadly or deadly put them at a higher death risk. So it's like obesity. The second one is actually anxiety or fear. So the fear that everyone's being pumped and like an anxiety being produced by the pandemic is actually now the number two comorbidity. So how does, how, does that, a, how does that work in terms of how does anxiety work in terms of being a, a health risk? We, we, we all know it's not good and it, it's problematic, yeah, but how does that, good. how does that contribute so to death? It can, anxiety and stress can like instantaneously lower your immune system function. So okay. you can't process inflammation as well. You heal slower. You just, you don't sleep as well, which affects like your body's ability to repair and regenerate. You also can't process infections as well under stress. Um, you might not be able to make cortisol as well, which is a natural anti-inflammatory and they'll often use steroids and cortisol to help, but your body produces its own. So if that system is too high or too low, you have a misregulation of inflammation in your body or you can't control the inflammation in your body, that's when you get the inflammatory cytokine storm that is deadly. So extreme stress can for sure make you sick and make you much more sick than you would be otherwise that makes sense i didn't know that so we're four four other conditions that's um that's that's what i mean like how are these numbers being ignored how are they just as you said sweeping them under the rug like they're quite powerful like based on what i've heard and the numbers that are available now not just in australia and the us but around the world at the very least you would think they'd take away the vaccine mandates. Yeah. No passports, none of that shit. If you want to get vaccinated, the option's there. But 
it doesn't need to be forced on people. And they, they say, so in Australia, they'll say it's against our constitution to, to, to force a, a medical procedure on anybody. Um, including coercing somebody into to doing that medical procedure, which in this case would obviously be the vaccine. But yeah, that's coming from a, a federal level, so our federal government. But our state, our state leaders are mandating it for employment. They're mandating it for shopping, going to the cinemas, the movies, going to recreational events, activities. Well, a mandate is, is, that's just as good as, as like it, it's coercing people. The amount of people I've spoken to, and I've done my own studies on it, and from everyone that I've spoken to and the polls that I've put up, to me, it looks like about 20% of people that have got have been vaccinated did it because they actually wanted the protection from the vaccine. The other 80% did it because they felt like if they didn't do it, they're going to lose their job. They wouldn't have freedom. So that's quite telling that 20, like it seems like a lot of people aren't overly concerned about this virus. But the government, on the other hand, the other end, the extreme. Totally. I mean, I think they're just honestly wanting either more power, more control, or more money to be had from whatever backers they're getting. I mean, no good product would ever need to push this much money or this much coercion into people to take it. Like, you would never be like, ooh, there's a gym membership, you know, and it's like normally a hundred dollars. Now we're going to make it free. And you're like, I don't really want it. And they're like, now we're going to say, if you don't go to the gym, then you can't go do these other things. You're like, well, I still don't want it. I'm a little bit scared. And like the harder they push, the more money they pump into marketing it and the propaganda, the more they try to pressure it in mandates or passports or other forms, the more people don't want it too. So like in the, that was in that FDA discussion on the eight hour long one. It's like, the more they push it, the more the hesitant people just keep backing up against the wall and running far the other way it just doesn't make sense it's like we need free choice and there's going to always be those people who are more cautious more hesitant more conservative not wanting to put you know synthetic stuff into their bodies and it's the more we kind of push it at someone the farther they're going to run away same thing with like a kid the harder you push broccoli on a six-year-old the more they're going to run the other direction whereas if you like let them choose go to the grocery store and you're like we want this or this or this or what do you want to do then they're going to be much more apt to kind of like someday have some broccoli but the way they're going about it from a health standpoint and a psychology standpoint makes very little sense yeah and it's look as i said if this vaccine was so effective and the virus was as deadly as they make it out to be i would be i'd be one of the first ones there getting it if i felt like it protected my family especially the elderly members of my family i would go to, i would go right i'd jump off this now and i'd run there and get it because that'd, be, that'd be the right thing to do but the fact is it's not doing that and in our case in australia i think we had the benefit in some way of being one of the last countries to actually start the rollout so i know the u.s when did the u.s start it was it i have no idea it's been a weird timeline i think it was maybe like february yeah so january, january february yeah, so we started that well after the US. And I think we're probably one of the last countries, what I mean, last I mean, Western countries to start the rollout. And we've had the benefit of being able to look at other countries. And as I said, we, we can see the future because we can see what's happening overseas. The countries that are far more advanced in terms of vaccination rates and the illness itself. And one point I would like to make, and I think it's, it's a logical point, is that when we talk about taking away people's freedoms based on their vaccination status, there's no discussion about the actual vaccine that people have taken. So I know from conversations I've had that the vaccines, obviously they're different. AstraZeneca's different. Pfizer's obviously the uh, mRNA based vaccine and AstraZeneca's not. And it's quite a Moderna's like Pfizer and, and they're all different and they, they work differently on different variants. So to my understanding, AstraZeneca was terrible at protecting people from the, the beta variant. And the, the same can be said now for Delta with Pfizer. So it would appear that AstraZeneca is working better against Delta than what Pfizer is. And with other variants, it was the opposite. So how can you say to people, if as long as you're vaccinated, the vaccines aren't the same. They're not talking about one vaccine. They're talking about multiple vaccines. That in itself is, is confusing. Yeah, it's extremely confusing. I mean, they're treating, like you said, it's all black and white. They're treating it all the same. 
rather than having an actual complex nuanced discussion around what's truly good for people and how can we kind of like make a more effective protocol that doesn't just pigeonhole people into yes no status yeah it, it doesn't make sense and i think anyone that can think well that you know hold on that's a bit strange they're both they're different products they, they people i think people just assume are probably due to a lack of information right that they're, they're similar they're, they're the same thing when they're not right and that's important that's an important point and i think you know if you were to scrap vaccine passports and you know what have a blood microbiome test passport where before you let people out of the state or the country or into venues hold on before you enter you need to have a blood test done full blood work microbiome tests and all these tests that's the risk factor it's not the vaccine it, it's the underlying health issues that are that are the problem and yeah. to say that the unvaccinated people are the ones that are going to be causing grief and 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 causing issues within the health system and and you know the hospitals will be struggling because of us and that's so far from the truth it's not the reality the reality is the people that the problem is you can't say too much online because people get upset with you and people start saying oh you're targeting people that are fat or obese no that's not true the reality is if you're overweight and you're obese nine times out of ten that's generally due to poor choice poor choices right the most people, some people may have underlying conditions, thyroid issues and, and that sort of thing. But the average person that's morbidly obese is obese because of their lifestyle choices, right? Right. So you're punishing me for other people who have, who have caused their own underlying health conditions. That's essentially what's happening. It doesn't make sense. No, I mean... I think, yeah, it is hard to kind of classify those people into that category because some of them were, you know, obese children sort of thing. So like they yeah. had, were raised by parents that fed them poorly or were whatever. And then they, um, you know, had some genetics or had a body type that led them to gain more weight. And then they kind of like went down that slippery slope or they were like, a lot of those people have, you know, trauma or eating disorders, all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to lump them into saying like, it's your fault when maybe they were abused that led to an eating disorder or a coping mechanism that wasn't so great. But at the same time, um, it would make more sense to either have antibody tests allowed. I still can't wrap my mind around the, the fact that they're not allowing antibody tests in Australia. That makes yeah. zero sense. But it's like, if they could have even like antibody concerts or something where like anyone who has a positive antibody test, whether it's from a natural infection or from the vaccine could go out and about, then that would make a lot of sense. The problem is if they started doing that, then people would intentionally catch COVID, right? They'd be like, oh, yeah. if I can just get COVID and have antibodies, then I can go back to normal. And it tells you like people are willing to risk a one in a thousand or one in 10,000 chance of dying just so they can have their life back, even because you've taken you've taken that away for a year or two. And people will do anything to get it back. They'll get a vaccine, whether it be coerced to get it back. And now in the U.S., people got the vaccine. And then they were told, you have to still wear a mask. You still can't go out. Like, it's not protecting you from catching or spreading it. So you still have to wear a mask and distance and do all these things and test and can't go to other states sometimes. So I think people had the illusion that they thought they were going to vaccinate. Things would just go back to normal. And that's far from the truth here. And um people are starting to wake up to natural immunity. I mean, they just censored the hashtag natural immunity on Instagram, right? It's like, that doesn't make sense. They censored um, health freedom. They've censored sunlight. And sunlight. Like, sunlight got censored last summer because people were talking about all the studies with vitamin D and how that was effective. Well, it's like, it's kind of disheartening because you could promote quercetin, you could promote vitamin D, you could show people research that's out there if you just look it up and- it's like the ones that catches enough steam, they just shut it down because they don't want people to question the narrative because um, it would just blow the whole thing up. If you get like, you know, five, 10% of the population or even less 3% of the population to start revolting, they can't really be stopped. Like the military is not going to go kill 3% of the Australian population or the United States population. No, that's right. And that's just, that's, that's concerning in itself that they're censoring hashtags like sunlight. That's we've yeah. always known from the beginning that sunlight's important, right? Vitamin D is important, is but now it's like, yeah, well, not anymore. It's not important anymore. Only the vaccine's important, everything else is secondary. 
Right. Until I think the vaccine will be pushed until we have some new miracle drug that's probably more expensive and makes more money than the vaccine, then the vaccine might get put on the back burner. But I'm pretty sure until we have something that makes more money for the pharmaceutical companies, that'll be kind of the first line of defense, or we'll be locking down people until we make like a new vaccine for a new variant that comes out. Because now there's like, I think it's like R.1 and Lambda and Mu variants um, that are all vaccine resistant. So it, if we do vaccinate everybody and like England, 95% of people have antibodies, the vaccines create, still create infections and that's gonna create, it's called leaky vaccines or a vaccine resistant virus strain. And then we're probably gonna get R1 or R2 or Lambda one or Lambda two or some new variant that basically is as contagious as Delta, but just completely avoids the vaccines and we'll have this whole shenanigan over and over again every year or over and over again until we just decide to stop playing along. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I think I've been told as well, and it makes sense is that maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but every mutation, it typically weakens the, the severity of the virus in terms of how sick you get from it, the symptoms of the virus. It may be more contagious like we're seeing with Delta, but it's very rare that a, that a mutation creates a, a deadlier virus, a deadlier strain. Is that right? That is generally right. However, I don't know if McCullough talked about this. There's a phenomenon called antibody-dependent enhancement, which means what, if, the virus, if someone's vaccinated against a virus and then the virus evades the vaccine to some degree, it can actually make the new variant, the vaccine-resistant variant, more deadly. So for people who were vaccinated, it could make the new variant more deadly than the original variant. And those people could be more likely to die. So it basically acts as what's called immune enhancement or disease enhancement, where someone either has an extreme overreaction or an underreaction to a future variant of the virus. That's a problem. It's a problem. And big problem. Um, yeah, a lot of the people who are extremely pro-vaccine in the United States were warning about this from the beginning and sort of saying, mm, you know, we have to be careful that this ADE antibody dependent enhancement doesn't happen. It looks like it was happening a little bit in Israel, but if, if we do get a vir viral variant that then evades the vaccines, which it looks like it's coming, there's already three out there, and it's kind of just a matter of time until another one happens, then it might mean that the vaccinated people are actually much worse off than those who never got the vaccine to begin with. So which could be devastating. Yeah, it will be devastating. And that's what people need to understand as well, is that when I'm talking about this, and I'm sure you're talking about it, I don't wish, and I'm sure you don't know, I'm wishes harm on anybody. We, we, no. don't want, we don't want vaccinated people to get sick just to say, how oh, we told you. It's not like that. You know what? I hope for their sake they're right. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like that. But right. Uh, when you, you spoke about that then with the new variants coming in, how would that stack up against natural immunity? So natural immunity, I, I did hear a while ago that it seems to be much more effective against many more variants than yeah. um, vaccine-induced antibodies. How is that a fair call? That is a fair call. Yeah. Well, however, if there is like a weird new variant that somehow pops up, could be less effective than before, but generally um, what's happened in all of medical history is that natural immunity still works better than a vaccine-induced immune response. And there is a widespread spectrum of antibody and protection you get from a natural infection where you get more of a specific narrow antibody protection from a vaccine. So it is likely that natural immunity would still be more protective than the vaccines if that were to happen yeah so that, that's what i don't understand here so there's no talk about you know if, if you if you've had the virus and you've got antibodies no problem you'll go classified as being vaccinated there's no talk right. of that it's just vaccinated or not so I, I think it'd be safer if you were to unleash the people that have had covid previously with natural immunity out than what it would be to have the vaccinated individuals out i don't agree with this at all in terms of segregating people based on their medical status it's it, that in itself is no. horrible and it's discrimination yeah and i know in australia that it's it's against our constitution it's against it's against so many things and and it's a matter of time before it's not going to work a it's not feasible 
it's not enforceable. There's too many people. If we're on a, a beach on a hot summer's day and there's, you know, two or 3,000 people there, the police aren't going to go up to every single person on the beach and say, hey, listen, can I see your, your, your vaccination status? It's not going to happen. It's impossible to, to police that. Yep. And it's a matter of time before that falls over. But as I've said recently, and I've made it very clear that my personal opinion on this whole situation here in this country anyway, is that this whole push from the beginning of fear, it's, it's a fear campaign. It's a fear campaign and it's, they're using fear and then they're using power in terms of you can't do this, you can't do that unless you're vaccinated. For those two reasons alone, the majority of people have got vaccinated. If it wasn't for those two things, fear and, and, and the freedoms, I can tell you now that it wouldn't be, the numbers would be significantly lower than what they are at the moment. And in my opinion, I really think, I don't think there's some evil plot, some new world order, some social credit system. I don't believe that. What I think is happening is that at the beginning, when this was all brand new, everyone was panicking. I'm sure you were at the beginning thinking, oh my God, what's this? How are we going to handle it? I've, everyone was concerned, including yep. our government. So our governments have probably gone, we're going to do whatever we can do as quickly as possible. These two, well, in Australia, the two, and I'm sure there's many of them around the world, have, have said, listen, we've got the product for you, this vaccine, which is the, the numbers they threw at it initially were ridiculous. Like we're talking plus 90% uh, efficacy rate, which is so far from the actual figure. They've thrown those numbers out. The government have said, yep, we need that. That's the only thing we've got. We need that immediately. Pfizer, in my opinion, AstraZeneca, here you go, here's the contract for that. There's, there's a number they have to hit. There's a, a contractual obligation that our government and probably every government has to meet. And that's the push. I believe that 80% rate in Australia in particular is the number that keeps those pharmaceutical companies happy. And that is supported by the fact that in Australia, we've just ordered over seven, which is a much in saying that, I think it was 7,700 units of the monoclonal antibodies into Australia as a, as a um, treatment option. And the, the numbers on that that were produced um, to us by our health department was that it's effective, at 80, 86% effective at keeping people from severe illness, which is a huge number, right? Yeah. So that's coming, but they've made a point that it's not coming till the end of this year. They've made another point that they do expect the rapid antigen testing to be available for us to use at home by the end of the year, right? Yeah. Novavax, which is looking pretty promising. Yeah. Um, again, that should be available in Australia end of 2021, early 2022. So is it, is it just me or is that a bit, our vaccine program is expected to sort of finish at about October, November, when they hit that target. To me, that's very suspicious. I agree. I mean, like we said earlier, this, it's like all the things that would actually help are being restricted. I mean, at least, you know, home testing and antibody testing, which would be extremely helpful to know and to prevent the spread of this thing. Um, doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't have done that from the beginning. Yeah, I think we have a role. Like if you if you really want to keep people safe, because like me, I'm not going to go and get tested unless I believe I've got it. Because they, they enforced a rule where if you lived in certain areas of Sydney, you had to get a test every three days in order to go back to work. Or you couldn't work without having a negative test every three days. Wow. Right? That's how bad it was. And and it's like so they're getting they're, they're getting testing numbers. It's probably this is probably a small number to what you're seeing in parts of the US, but understanding that there's, I think, 7 million people in New South Wales, or Sydney, New South Wales, one of the two, and that they're doing over 100,000 tests a day. Over 100,000 PCR tests daily. Wow. That's quite significant when you look at the population. That's a huge number of people. Yeah. Um, it's like they're trying to find cases, Right. And, and there's people like myself who are just going, I'm, I refuse to go and get that shoved up my nostril every three days. Not because I, I'm concerned about the tickle in the nose, but it's, 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 it's annoying. Like it's just, it's to have to leave and wait in line and get tested and wait for your results and you can't move or you can't do too much to get the results back. It's a pain in the ass. So I've got numb, I'm doing it. They need to be aware there's probably a lot of people like me and a lot of people who don't want to get tested at the testing sites with the PCR tests. It would benefit 
if, if they're talking about health, it would benefit the government to give those people access to home tests. But they don't want to do that. So it, it's, and I've also heard that those PCR tests in Australia cost up to $200 per test. Wow. Times that by 100,000 people a day just in New South Wales. Thanks. It's costing our economy so much money that my kid, my, never mind my kids, my grandkids, my great grandchildren will be still paying this back. And all for what? For a virus that, that seemingly is a little bit worse than your typical flu. Right. Well, I've been saying this whole time too, I'd feel awful for Australia or New Zealand or places that were so locked down so hard and you've had it so rough. It's like, what if you have it just as bad as everybody else or like what happens with Israel or England or the United States? Like, what if that happens now? Or what if it happens a year from now? And like you shut down for two years just to have the whole thing kind of hit you in year three. It's just, well, that's it's like how long, it's like just prolonging the nightmare. Well, that's what I've said. I've said, look, surely the government have to address the fact that at some point we're going to be hit like Israel. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like, we're not special down here. We don't, we don't escape that, right? So right. aren't they thinking about that? Like what? They're not being transparent. They're not saying to the people, listen, you know, this is going to happen. We're going to have freedom for a few months, but it is likely we're going to have a big spike in cases, a big spike in deaths. We may have to get back into lockdown to prevent it. They're saying there's no chance of any future lockdowns after this one's lifted. You can't say that. And if that's the case, lift it now. Right. The difference between 50% of the residents having double dose of the vaccine compared to 70% is minuscule in terms of what it's going to do. But they're keeping us in this lockdown. And, and just in, in Melbourne, did you see the news from Melbourne recently, the last few days? some protests is that in melbourne yeah so that was um quite heavy so those protests have been happening for a few days and they're they're um tradesmen they're tradespeople that work in construction and, and that and they've because they protested outside of the union office um the, the state government down in victoria decided to put a, a stop on all all industry construction industries for two weeks as it's it's, it's a dead set it's, it's a punishment for them protesting against the union so they've done that and the protesters have gone out to the streets and the, the police are shooting them with rubber bullets hmm. for protesting. They're shooting them with rubber bullets. Our own people are being shot by our own police force for, for doing nothing but protest. What's wrong with that? We're, we're in a democracy, right? I think so. I don't know what it's like over there. You're getting much of that over there in the States. People are protesting, but they're not getting shot at here. They've been left alone. For the most part, yeah. And a lot of the police over here are actually on the side of the protesters, so that helps. Yeah, it does. And I, I saw a video yesterday from uh, someone recorded an interaction with a police officer. The, the, the officers that are being sent out to these protests here look like they've just come out of a movie. They're the full right gear and right squad. They, they got everything on them. And the officer said to this person, you know, we're as sick of this lockdown as you are. We're sick of it. We don't want to find people. We don't want to do this. And the people's point was, we'll stop doing it. Because the minute the right. police side with the people, this finishes, this stops. Hmm. Right? But it's, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But, you know, when you see what's happening, not just here, but all around the world, of these democracy, democracy just being torn apart and, and people protesting, which is just exercising the right of, of, of free speech, really. We know the virus doesn't transmit well outside. There hasn't been a single case in this country of outdoor transmission, believe it or not, not one. I don't know, is the number quite similar over there in terms of very low percentage of them? It was before Delta. I think there might be some outdoor ones, but yeah, so far it's zero confirmed outdoor transmission cases, which makes the whole mask wearing outside completely <laughs> <laughs> that's the point that I've, I've raised while we were in a bus there's not there's no i don't know where they get the health advice from but they need to probably reconsider right if that's the advice they're getting and they, they call protests super spreader events outdoor outdoor protest super spreader events which again is not factual it's fear that super spreader word in itself is a it's fear right and yeah. that's what they're doing and and these people are just we've had enough we've had enough i mean people are losing their jobs 
people are, haven't seen their family for months. I think Melbourne, Victoria just broke the record for being in lockdown the longest out of any place on earth. Wow. They've been locked down a ridiculous amount of time in the last 18 months, like huge, like months and months and months. Wow. It's like a, a dictatorship that's going on down there. And if you go against what they say, well, we're going to bring the police, we're going to shoot you with rubber bullets. It's crazy. Yeah. There's only so much, so long they can do that before people just revolt outright. And we don't want that. Like we're we're normally, I don't know what your idea is of Australians, but typically we're very laid back. Yeah. All right. Nothing really bothers us too much, but to see the country that I was born in the way it is now in relation to what we're being protected from, like you would think that the case fatality rate is 50% or higher. And it's not. So I think we'll probably finish on this point, but what would you recommend in terms of the average Australian? What would you recommend in terms of giving yourself the best chance of, of, of if you were to get the virus, of overcoming that? I think it's um, supplementation helps. You know, vitamin D, C, zinc, quercetin, some herbal remedies help like neem, Echinacea astragalus, but for the most, I usually use a lot of MediHerb products. Um, they have an adrenal complex. They're an Australian-based company. They have an adrenal complex with Romani and licorice with both, which both inhibit coronavirus replication, which is a useful preventative and treatment for like long COVID and for people who do have COVID, but, um, and prevention. But I think main thing is just like eat really well, get three to nine servings of fruits or vegetables every day, if you can. You're not like carnivore or something and um or not keto but eat super well eat more of an anti-inflammatory or plant-based diet sleep seven plus hours a night if you can seven to nine hours a night stay hydrated and work out try to reduce comorbidities you have um, and try not to be too stressed try to deal with whatever stress we've all had stress which is adaptation to change but really try to like stay positive keep the things you surround yourself with positive and try to really focus on your mental health. I think trying to meet up with people, do whatever you can, get some new hobbies and try to have as much fun as you possibly can, given what you're allowed to do. Yeah. I think as I posted it yesterday that I've spoken to a few paramedics now, quite a few, and they've given me some figures, which were very concerning. So the, the national daily average of, of suicides in Australia prior to this pandemic was eight a day, eight per day over the whole country. Now, I've had paramedics tell me that in certain suburbs, certain areas of Sydney, in their local areas that they work in, they've had in excess of that per day, 10. The other one said he dealt with 13 in one day in an area, in a local area which is higher than the national average a few days, like a few years ago. There is a, there is a, a huge mental health problem in this country at the moment. And it's, it's devastating. And it's going to be, they think this virus is going to be the issue. It's not going to be, I can tell you now, the issue is going to be mental health. Yeah. It's going to have ripple people. effects for years now. And it's a shame because we're really living in a system that's, that's counterproductive to what we actually need. Right. So as you said, exercise you know which which i'm a big believer in getting outdoors and exercising i'm not even a fan of the gym in particularly i prefer to do what i can outdoors yeah go for walks hikes bike rides runs yeah play on the beach with your dog yeah great all terrific ideas and and not only is it beneficial to breathe fresh air but it's also just getting vitamin d and being exposed to the elements is is great we've had that taken away from us well, we had, we've had outdoor exercise limited to no more than one hour a day, as if that makes a difference in whether you get the virus or not, right? Right. We've had the ability to visit our loved ones. I, I haven't seen my parents in four months, three, four months. My dad, my father's fully vaccinated now, but he's not allowed to come and... So he's allowed to visit other people that are fully vaccinated. Or if he's not now, he will be in a few weeks, allowed to visit whoever he wants within a certain distance provided they're fully vaccinated, but he can't come and visit his own son because I'm unvaccinated. Right. Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
And I say to my dad, I said, listen, I said, if you're so confident, like if you're vaccinated and you think I should do it because it's beneficial, why are you concerned about my vaccination status if it's if you're vaccinated? Why why does that matter? So that in itself is illogical, right? But anyway, so I let him run with it. But my concern is as well as the people like my father, who I'd say he's very fit and healthy, but he's he's nearly 70. So he's getting there in terms of his age. And I'm concerned that we're gonna have a huge amount of elderly and vulnerable people walking around with a false sense of security, believing that so long as they, they're around other vaccinated people, they can't get the virus. That's what's going to happen. Yep. It's happening here and it's uh, not ending so well. No, it's not. And, and I think we need to be aware of that. And that needs to be spoken about. You know, we need to have the, the health professionals in this country stand up and say, listen, you need to start eating better. You need to start exercising. You need to start taking supplements. You need to start doing this, doing that. We're not saying any of that. It's in a headline in the paper was telling of that. It's either get vaccinated or die. That was the uh, the headline of a newspaper. God, that scares the shit out of people, right? Yes. Yeah. We've had press conferences in Victoria where the the health professionals have got up on stage in front of you know, heaps of people that watch that circus every day saying that yeah. COVID Delta is um, unforgiving. It'll get through your windows and get your family. That's, the, that, that's what a health yeah. professional would said. Yeah. Look at that messaging. They make it out like it's a serial killer, like it's jumping through your windows while you sleep and getting you. Right. But it's, like, it's not true. If the virus is so bad, you don't need to even do or say those things. Yeah. Yikes. It's crazy, man. It, it's out of control. But listen, doctor, I appreciate you being here. It's, it's been great talking to you. Please keep up what you're doing. Don't stop. Thank you. You too. Have you have you been pulled up on certain things yet? Not yet. Not yet. You under the radar at the moment. Mostly under the radar. Yeah. But just keep doing because what you know the messages that you're, you're getting across is extremely important. And, and as I said, we're having this conversation from the other side of the world. So the yeah. fact that your messages are reaching us here and a lot of people were sending me messages recommending I speak to you and, and get your take on things. And so mate, your message is getting out there and it's working and, and people are taking on, mate. So thank you very much for what you're doing. It takes courage for you, for anybody to stand up and speak, but let alone somebody in your position that's really risking everything. Yeah, well, it's worth it. You know, this is our lives we're losing for these couple of years. Yeah. Doctor, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.